Hey everyone and welcome back to the show. Today we have the head men's golf coach at the University of Notre Dame, Mr. John Handrigan. We talk about John's journey from the Muskoka region in Ontario to joining one of the most famed schools in America. We talk about the recent U.S. amateur and the maturity and skill that is coming out of college golf right now and what the professional game has in store. This is an amazing conversation with a true consummate professional. So let's get into it with Coach Handrigan. Welcome to the 4Jack Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the 4Jack Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Jackson Labs. Brand consultants get our brand going in the right direction. You can do the same for yours. Go check them out at jacksonlabs.com. This podcast is also brought to you by guys that are just making us look really good on the track some days and some days well no all it's always good Taylor made golf with the new lineup of sim 2 and sim 2 max drivers ferrywoods rescues and irons they will get you dialed right in and while we're swinging those clubs we're looking good in cricket shirts uh probably my favorite shirt I've ever put on playing golf and you should go check them out as well uh, really fun one here today, fresh off the amateur, which is a perfect time for this guest to come on. But uh, before we get to our guest, let's just say hello to the fellas. David, how are you? Very good. Um, just recovering, no mid am, but the gentleman that won was definitely a high performance athlete. <laughs> he looked about six foot four, 290 pounds. Um, so that border guard was definitely incorrect with what a high performance athlete looks like. I would attest that I look exactly the same as the medalist today at Craigburn, but life goes on. Really excited about our guest uh, today. Pretty excited to learn about his journey from Northern Ontario to South Bend and uh, pretty excited to be here tonight. Definitely. Tom, how are you, sir? Doing good, bud. Just, yeah. You know, friend of the show, Mark Baldwin, went to Notre Dame. Nice to get another representative of the school and, uh, you know, home of the, the beautiful story of Rudy. So... Excited to dive into it today. That we will. And Parks, last but not least, the man. How are you today, sir? Lovely, lovely. It's been a long, long day in the office, but uh, excited to wrap it up here with some golf talk. Can't wait to get into the next guest. Uh, yeah, obviously, we're a big proponent for college sports. Love to get into the you know, matrix and the ecosystem, what that world looks like and what, he, what this next guest is doing to to build his team and make make a statement this year in co- collegiate sports. So, yeah, excited to have him on. Absolutely. And that guest for today, the head coach of the University of Notre Dame men's golf team, Mr. Don- John Handrigan. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to the time. God, we're just getting amped up to get in this. Did, you, did you get to hear the music that we just played? <laughs> awesome. Just what a walk-up song right there. Just trying to you fire tried. everyone up. That you was tried. a that was a first attempt for the show, trying to like spice it up and do something creative here for you. And we gotta get the applause going though. I think that worked. Uh oh, sounds. There we go. That's <laughs> better. The live studio audience, we held them back, but now they're here. Still here. They're they're on a tape delay, but we still got them. Um, I th- I think this is just before we get into a little bit of your side, because uh, I know that we're gonna go deep into that. Coming from a, a university coach, watching, you know, we're fresh off the amateur week. Like, how exciting is that for you to kind of just watch these players and think, like, I'm going to be a part of something like that. Like, hopefully have 
some interaction with a player that's going to be there. And I, you, I know you did have a few and it's like amateur season. The amateurs got to be a very exciting time for a university head coach. Yeah, definitely. It was an exciting week. Um, you know, the, at Oakmont, it's one of the best golf courses in the country. So to see our guys compete against the best players in the world, uh, pretty special. And then we had Davis Chatfield, who made it all the way to the uh, quarterfinals, um, lost in the in the final eight there, but uh, had a great rep- representation for Notre Dame and uh, pretty proud of what he did for sure. What's your interaction then? Like, were you out there throughout the week or are you kind of involved in that whole process with your players or are they just kind of going out? I don't know what the rules were, I guess, this year with everything totally down there but yeah you- good question i was actually uh i'm typically at the usam to support our guys but as you know the the border just opened uh, last monday on august 9th so i haven't seen my family in canada in northern ontario for for a couple of years now with covid so i was uh, fortunate to get home and play some golf with the my brother and family and see my parents. So uh, I missed the AM this year, but uh, I was watching it on TV and talking to Davis regularly and, and pretty happy with what he did. Great. So you were at Red Tail. I guess I arrived like 15 minutes after you left last Monday. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. As soon as I crossed the border, I played Red Tail with a couple of buddies before I headed up to Muskoka to see some friends and, and family. But uh, sorry, I missed you. That would have been great. All good. <laughs> I was late. So there we go. Uh, how, so watching this week at Oakmont, um, I know like, like you said, you had some players that were clearly, you know, star players to be there, but knowing coming into this season and seeing how well they did at the amateur, like that's got to get you pretty amped up for the season. Yeah. It just shows you how good of our team is going to be. We had, uh, uh, three guys in the AM last week and, uh, we actually have a, a Canadian guy coming in, uh, this year from, uh, uh, Western Canada or sorry, Eastern Canada, Nova Scotia. Um, Owen Mullen and he was playing in the Canadian Junior uh, last week and he lost by one at the Canadian Junior so with our USAM guys and then Owen coming in uh, with the Canadian Junior under his belt I think we're gonna have a pretty damn good year no kidding and I guess we'll ride this last question out on the app and then we'll kind of go into your history like I mean, you spent enough time in college golf to see it but I guess it's made a huge difference say since 2016 like how much the game has changed technology and the ball how much does it impress you year after year watching these college players just do what they do like you look at the average swing speed on in college like it's higher than on tour and you're like gosh like this is insane what these kids are doing yeah it's a whole new level and I actually played Oakmont a few days prior to the AM with some alums uh, as a fundraising trip and then watching it on TV and seeing how far they hit it compared to us old guys and what we did in college is is unreal and you know and Owen Mullen coming in from uh, Canada next year apparently he uh he bombs it a lot longer than, than most. So I'm looking forward to seeing a guy hit it 350, 360 every day. So it's, uh, it's amazing what they do. It's a different game. Um, and uh, it makes these courses a lot easier than what, what we're used to. That's for sure. What I find interesting about just, yeah, like the evolution of swing speeds is just when we were growing up, like finding out how to swing faster, do this, that, it's like you kind of just like, move your hands, do this or that. Now it seems like with the body mechanics, biomechanics that are out there and the coaches working on like kinesiology, all that stuff, they've like actually learned the science of like, this is how the body needs to work with like in relation to the club to like actually generate maximum force, which is like, I wish we had that when we were growing up a little more. So (laughs) access to that information right now, I've got like a bit of a pulled muscle in my back and the idea of swinging like 130 miles an hour just sounds like a train wreck to me. (laughs) 
Yeah, I agree. They're, they got it down to a science, and we're fortunate at Notre Dame to have a great group of people here that that understand the game, um, know the fitness side of it, and the biomechanics of the game. So we, uh, the guys, work hard in, in the weight room for sure to be able to swing it that fast, and uh, and it's, it's impressive what they do. That's for sure, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen it. Uh, but it's a it's a different it's a different game from what we're used to playing, and uh, it's pretty impressive what the guys can do. Mm-hmm. What does that program look like from? inception to the final years in college can you give us the Coles notes on what the focus is and, and what the whole process looks like for those guys yeah you know it starts with nutrition to be honest when they first arrive to see what their body types are like and they um you know go into a bod pod type uh you know system where they find out what their body does and how it reacts to foods and and their different sizes um what causes their speed and their swing um, and then once we know that, we uh, build up a, a fitness program for each player that, that expands that and, and hopefully promotes uh, some faster speeds. Uh, but you'd be amazed if I showed you some pictures of the guys and how they transform their body from being, you know, a first year to when they leave Notre Dame. And, and it's pretty cool to see, you know, I, we have one guy who's from Hong Kong, actually, but he came in, I think he was about 115 pounds. And, and after his uh, junior or sophomore year, he was about 165. So Jeez. the things that they... Yeah, the things that they can do, uh, you know, with the science of it now is is awesome. And it just helps these guys, you know, with their career and making sure that they're prepared to play professional golf after Notre Dame. Well, I did not expect, like, nutrition to be the first thing to start with. I was like, okay, so we'll work on what your strengths are and what not. Like, okay, no, we're going to see what you eat. Yeah. My wow. biggest fault. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what needs to be addressed. Be like, you just need to eat. We talk about this on the show all the time, though. It's like in college now – especially the transition to the corn Ferry tour and the PJ tour, they are developing these like prodigy athletes, these soldiers. And it comes from even high school now where they have, you know, mental coaches and swing coaches and nutrition coaches and fitness coaches and neurokinesiologists and all these fun things that obviously we never had access to, but it's like McCord said, like back in the day, they went and dug it out of the dirt. If they were hitting it bad, they went and found it on the range, but now it's just in a lab and a simulator and you're good to go. Go to the I PJ Tour. Literally thought speed was generated by like how quickly I could like lag that whip it. <laughs> yeah, like get that lag and I'm just like holding it up like and then flip it at the last second. Then my swing just is missing left, right, all over the place. <laughs> and it's like talking to Mike Malaskin. He's like, you just can't stand on a tee box if you want to play competitive golf and not know which way the ball is going to go. That's very true. Well, for our listeners. Don't listen to anything Tom has to say. Let's Too stick true. to John here. Barefoot golf. Sorry, I'm just trying to put crazy things out there so he can step in and be like, actually, let's debunk some myths again. I love it. John, let's go back and kind of get an idea of how you got to where you are today. I mean, coming from Canada and then taking over such a huge role at Notre Dame and college golf in general. Like, Talk to us about that whole journey to where you are. Yeah, sure. Well, obviously in Northern Canada, the season's pretty short. So I, uh, I played a lot of hockey growing up um, and uh, hockey's a tough game, as you know, in the body. So I needed something to do in the, in the summertime and, and got into golf. Um, my mentor in a small town in, in Bracebridge, Northern Canada was the head golf pro there. And he got me into the game and, uh, you know, I was working for him at the golf course. And, and all I did in the, in the summertime was play golf and, and work at the course and pick up range balls. And I just loved the game. And fortunate for his help to uh, get a scholarship to the U.S. and and play college golf uh, in Pennsylvania for four years. Um, and then after that, the, the last thing I want to do is get a job. So I played uh, professional golf for a few years and and took that route. Um, and then, you know, as you know, it's pretty tough to make it and, and make any cash doing it. So 
Um, I wanted to stay in golf and uh, I didn't want to be a, a club pro selling, you know, golf shirts and sweaters. So I wanted to uh, get into coaching and just something I love to do. And I started off at a, you know, really low level and, in, in uh, you know, as an assistant coach, um, got into division two golf as a head coach, um, knew I wanted to kind of coach at the highest level. Um, so I got uh, into, uh, you know, some division one programs as an assistant. Um, big ones I started at was University of Kansas, uh, then was fortunate to go to University of Florida, um, started there with Buddy Alexander as an assistant. And then, as you know, uh, Deacon got there um, and we worked together for a few years at Florida and, and built some awesome programs, you know, and I just love working with him. And we, uh, we learned a lot, I think, from each other. Um, but my next step from there, I want to be a you know, head coach at a, a power five school and, and fortunate to get hired at uh, Notre Dame, which uh, has a lot of beliefs that, that I do. And um, they do everything they can to have a successful program. Um, and we started off, you know, not great, to be honest, you know, my first year, I think we were ranked over 100th uh, in the country. And then pre-COVID, we, uh, we got into the top 10 in the country, which is a huge jump in uh, just three years at Notre Dame. Um, and then this past year, we uh, had another successful year. And I can't wait. The guys come back on Tuesday, uh, tomorrow, actually. And then we're going to get uh, started for another uh, run this year. That's amazing. I mean, it. sorry, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, I kind of just want to, like, dive a little deeper into that going from 100 to top 10 like what happened behind the scenes what was yeah that transition like was it a recruiting thing was it more working on these players like physical abilities getting the right just mindsets like yeah just take us through kind of what it looked like going from there yeah I think you hit it on the head you know a lot of it started off with recruiting um we had some good players to start when I was here and then uh, we kind of transitioned um, to different mindsets and belief, um, what hard work really was and, and got, got these guys into, uh, some good tournaments, um, taught them how to work on their games every day and practice properly. Um, and then obviously we recruited some uh, top players to, to Notre Dame. It's, we got a lot to sell here. So we attract some of the best and, and we worked hard on the recruiting trail and, and found some great players that, uh, really bought into our system, which is, you know, really busting your butt and, and making sure you do everything you possibly can. And that's just not on the golf course. But like we talked about, if you, you're going to play college golf on some of these long courses, you got to work hard in, in the you know fitness room and, and uh, nutrition. And we just got guys that really wanted to do this for a living. They, they weren't just in college uh, doing it for fun and, and having a, a you know deep social life. So we found the right guys that were fit that wanted to play this big game at the highest level and uh, definitely fortunate to have a great group of guys that, that do everything we, we ask them to do. And uh, I think they're, they're seeing the benefits of that right now with such a, a strong team and uh, you know, success breeds success and they, they've got a taste of it and they want more. So it's, it's pretty exciting um, where the guys are at and, and they're excited to get back to the, the team this year and see what we can do. Love it. Talk to us about the go back on that recruiting thing really quickly. And not, this is not just Notre Dame. This is like your entire time in college golf or div one and two. How often is it when you see a kid come up, even at like 17, 18, even 16, I guess, if you're really watching, are you sitting there going like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a star or this girl's going to be a star? Like, how often does that come across where you're like, holy smokes, like, this is a talent? Yeah, I think the elite players appear to be elite right away. It's trying to find the player that might not be, you know, a, a five-star recruit, but a four-star recruit that's going to turn into a five-star, right? But um, just like in any sport, I think you can really tell the best players early on. Um, but, you know, there's only so many schools in the country and, and so many great players. So you got to also find, you know, the four stars that you know are going to work hard and fit into your program that are 
are going to turn into a five star um, in college golf. So, um, yeah, but it, it's, you know, one thing in, in, in college golf is that, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see who the best players are because scores don't lie, right? You can mm-hmm. see what they shoot on a daily basis and you know, if they're winning a lot of events and, you know, shooting sixties um, quite consistently, you know, they're going to be a pretty good college player. Mm-hmm. What's your, I guess we could coin the phrase high performance athlete. John, I'm just curious to know how deep does your relationship go with David? Not at all. Like we just met through Craig <laughs> a couple weeks ago. So. Yeah, very little relationship. So uh, I Perfect. wish I would have saw him at Red Tail. I wouldn't mind getting in his pocket a little yeah, bit on the golf course. Yeah, I wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to validate his high performance athletic claim, but uh, we'll save that for another day. So you I got, think our paths, oddly enough, I think our paths have all crossed. 25, 30 different times. And, you know, same thing with JC. Like, I think it's, you know, we're closer in age that way, but it's funny. My kid's at South Muskoka and he's part of that whole program. He's only nine, but it's interesting what they're doing there. And um, I don't know. It's just a funny like connection that we have, but how early do you start looking at kids was one of my questions. Like, you know, is it 13, 14, like golf's a little psycho right now with some of these parents and, are you receiving letters from some of these parents, you know, in their, you know, youth athletes, I guess, like age 10 to like 14, or are you seeing, you know, you won't even start even like looking at an athlete till they're 15, 16, 17. Walk us through that. Yeah. It, it's starting earlier and earlier, you know, to be honest. So we uh, typically when they start high school is when we uh, kind of, they kind of get on our radar. Um, and uh, we don't, I typically don't commit until they're, uh, you know, a junior in high school, just because I think it's really important to see how they develop, you know, as young men, um, a lot of things can happen from when they're, you know, 12 and 13 until they, you know, get through high school. Um, so I like to kind of take my time and the NCAA has introduced some new rules just recently to try to slow down the recruiting process, uh, which I think is important. Um, as you probably know, the, the transfer portal is pretty active these days with, you know, kids that are uh, players, not, they're not kids, but um, that they don't stay with the program very long and and that commitment's not there. So I think the longer they wait to make a decision and the longer we wait, it's going to be better for them and their, in their future and, and making sure that school is the right fit for them. Um, so yeah, typically, you know, once they're, uh, you know, in grade 11, um, that's when we like to commit to players because we feel like they have a, it's the right time for them to make a decision and, and we know more about their personality. How does that work from a, t- a time commitment perspective? If you have kids that are really adamant about playing one or two years and then turning pro and walking away from the program, what, what does that process look like? Yeah, it's pretty rare at, at Notre Dame. You know, we had it happen quite a bit at Florida, uh, but Notre Dame is just such a strong academic school that the players that we recruit, they also, you know, they want to play professional golf, but they also want to get a great education. And uh, our degree is just so powerful that sometimes it's uh, more powerful than professional golf. So our guys, uh, you know, very rarely do we have somebody leave early. They, they come in, they graduate, and they graduate in four years. And, and after that, they have a, either a great degree to, to go that route or, you know, they can play professional golf. So we're pretty fortunate that uh, we rarely get guys that uh, don't appreciate, you know, that, that degree, which that, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I think, uh, you know, college golf, you're a student first and an athlete that's going to be successful. Um, but to do that, you got to value that education and, and that degree. And I guess that degree kind of goes hand in hand with kind of going back to the recruiting thing, like why you're getting these, you know, really good players. Because like if you're a, a standout junior and you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to look at that professional route, like probably more often than not, these guys are going to go south, right? So they want to play all year. You want to play somewhere hot. I mean, at least you're getting that education to back it if you go to Notre Dame. 
Yeah, I would agree. They're getting a great education to, to fall back on. Uh, unfortunately, we all know the, the numbers of people that actually make it, you know, in professional golf. So if you're turning pro and, and not getting that degree, you better be, you know, a prodigy that's going to make it. Um, because if you don't, you don't have much to, to do after that. So at Notre Dame, we think we can be the best in both the academics and golf. Um, and we've, we've proven to do that. So, and, and obviously, like you mentioned, you know, it's people like to play uh, golf all year round and, and we're fortunate at Notre Dame that we have, uh, the network and the, the alums that, you know, in the wintertime, we take some pretty nice trips all across the country to play some of the best golf courses uh, that you can imagine, um, you know, getting to go to places like Seminole and Augusta National, uh, places like that with our team uh, just doesn't happen at too many programs. And we have such a great network that, that we're pretty lucky that way. That has to kind of play well into the team building aspects of things too, just taking those trips. Cause I know anytime we've gone on a golf trip, like, there's a pretty heavy bond that develops over that time, which probably translates into, yeah, like competitive play. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And uh, that's what we we really focus on the culture. Um, and that takes part in, in recruiting and getting guys that fit into that culture. Um, but they spend so much time together that they better enjoy each other's company. Um, obviously, there's still a lot of you know competitive games and, and needling going on the side with games. But in the end, they, they care a lot about each other and, and love the time that they uh, they spend together on some of these trips and it's not just about the courses we play but it's the network too and and the guys that our players get to meet you know week in and week out at some of these these places that they're playing golf with is uh, is pretty special and and they create bonds for a long time yeah i like that i, I think we should try and leverage the four jack into one of these notre dame augusta Seminole trips just to uh, validate the claims there i'll, I'll just be a looper <laughs> Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Let me just get in there. Carry the I'll carry the water bottles. Yeah, for no problem. sure. I got a few things on my mind right now, but I'm just trying not to say something stupid because of like, yeah, just thinking back to David talking about when does the recruiting start? And it's like, yeah, parents, are they writing letters? But there's one parent that invited him on a golf podcast that's like, hey, maybe take a look at my kid. <laughs> just kidding. Dude. Exactly what I'm doing. I'm just oh, getting that? into the head golf coach. That's why That's why the focus on the coaches this year. I understand what's going on. Okay. I love it. John, what are you most excited for this season? Is there some new things at play, some new ideas on the table? Or are you just looking forward to the recruits and the team? Uh, we got our whole team back from last year. So we had a top team in the country and uh, all of our guys are retur returning that are in the lineup. Um, you know, another year more mature and playing in tournaments like the USAM. Um, so I'm excited there. And we got two uh, new recruits coming in this year too. Obviously the one from Canada. We got a kid from Chicago. Um, both great guys and, uh, and really strong players that had a really good summer. Um, so I think it's going to add some depth to our team and, and make it more competitive. Uh, as you guys know, the more competitiveness you have and guys, you know, fighting for their spots and and uh, competing with each other at practice is important. So I, I'm excited to have that extra depth this year and and see what guys going to step up and, and play some great golf. Forgive my uh, ignorance, but how is the NCAA's announcement with the endorsements going to affect the collegiate players and, and that whole ecosystem this year? Yeah, it's changing quite a bit. Um, you probably saw at the USAM, there were some guys that had sponsors, you know, on their hats and, and clothes a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's changing. But I, I've always thought that, uh, you know, they can create a, a brand for themselves and there's no reason why they can't can't earn that. You know, why do they have to wait until after golf to uh, after college to earn that? So I think if they can do that on their own and, and earn that with their with their clubs and with their play. I think why not? So but it is it is going to change, you know, the environment quite a bit. But uh, in a good way, you know, they they deserve uh, the things that they can get based on on how they perform. So 
Um, I'm all for it. It's just going to be not easy jockeying all that because it's going to take some, some time away from their, uh, you know, daily plan that they have. So um, we as coaches are just going to have to adapt a little bit and, and make sure we're, we're ready for it because, uh, you know, it just adds another element into what we're doing each day. Totally. Another what, distraction. Yeah. I was just kind of thinking back to like the Mighty Ducks too when they go play in the world championships and Gordon Bombay has to burn the thing because of the distractions. But at the same time, I think that's <laughs> a, like we're talking about deep cut developing these golfers, athletes into humans that can succeed in life. Right. And part of that aspect when they go beyond it is like. Bark Baldwin was talking about just the journey of becoming a pro and like how he's like, my sponsors are Visa, MasterCard and American Express. And it's like, if you can kind of develop those skills while you're in college to negotiate sponsorships and like do that, like it's, it can give you the platform to actually pursue the golf longer term because now you aren't just like, I got to go win tournaments. It's like, I've built this brand for myself. Freedom. Exactly. And it's like, I think that's a good thing to learn early on in life obviously there's a balance of distraction versus like what makes sense, but like learning to like, Hey, I am worth something here. I have this audience. There's something worth it. Like pay me for that because as you move forward in life, like LeBron James getting that billion dollar contract from Nike, right? Like you can live a life like that and it'd be cool on a smaller scale to see these guys. Yeah, for doing sure. It. I think it might, encourage players to stay in school longer right so if you can make money in college there's no reason to jump you know ship and go right to the professional ranks stay in school get your degree and earn some money there you know as well so hopefully guys there'll be less guys turning pro and and feel the the value of that education and and not have to jump ship so quickly when they can make some money uh, at school as well and i think to kind of ride that point as well like we just watched a guy like david skins get you know get his card he's 39 years old never been on tour and it's like you know, it, yeah, make that money while you're in school because it, if you want to pursue that path of becoming professional, it's like, like I said, make some money while you can. I mean, that guy was working at like Uber Eats like eight months ago. DoorDash. DoorDash, that's it. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, that's so crazy. Like, this guy is literally scraping by, but like probably didn't have the opportunity to make that money early on. I mean, he's 39 years old, so I'm sure he's made something along the way. But like for a 27-year-old that's still grinding through it, could have made something while you're in university. I, I think it's just super beneficial for them. Yeah, I agree. And you guys are talking about Baldwin sponsors. Are you going to get a, like a diapers sponsor yet? Or you guys heard anything about that? <laughs> I'm hoping so. Like hoping. some sort of Snuggies type action. Because <laughs> I'm actually super proud and got to give him a special shout out because he just made his first cut on the PGA Tour and finished like T34th or something. So yeah, big shout out to Notre Dame. Is it alumnus or alumna? I always alumna. forget how they do that because it's like a dude is something different than the, the women. And the. Do you know what it is, John? <laughs> I, I don't. You're way over my head there. But <laughs> alumni. I was, alumni. I was he was a Monday qualifier. He, he made the cut and uh, performed great. So he's he's worked hard and, and been on the grind for a long time. So big shout out to Baldwin for sure. Mm-hmm. Amen. Nice sombrero he wears too. I like that. Not a huge bucket hat guy, but... Uh, He's obviously an HPA, right, David? So validates the hat. Yes. So I was told yesterday the context of the high-performance athlete. I attempted to qualify, cross the border, land border, to qualify for the Mid-Am. And the nice young gentleman said, high-performance athletes are 18 years old, aspiring Olympians. And I said, well, I'm a 39-year-old overweight guy that's an <laughs> aspiring Olympian that's going to qualify for the Mid-Am tomorrow. And he strongly disagreed. And 
did not deem me a high performance athlete at the border and sent me back to Canada. So that's the context for you there. But I do have a question just about, um, you know, associate head coach versus your role, head coach and how much, you know, does the athletic program, you know, like at a school like Notre Dame, obviously they have you know, tons of resources, one of the probably hot facilities in the country. Now, how much does that go into like your day-to-day planning you know, versus like other schools that you've been at, obviously Notre Dame's a completely different beast in that mode. But like at the same time, when you're looking at, you know, athletes and the whole program as a whole, how much does the associate head coach, the athletic director, how much involvement, I guess, does the whole program have into recruiting? Or is it just basically you and I guess it'd be Zach? Like how much? Yeah. So we just uh, hired Zach uh, about a month ago and he was a head coach prior to being the assistant or associate head coach here at Notre Dame. Um, and uh, he's an unbelievable guy and has a great track record. So we're excited to add him uh, to the program. Um, obviously, the NCAA has a lot of rules, and one of the rules are you can only have two coaches. Um, so we've got two coaches as our, our full um, staff, but we also have like you know strength and conditioning coach and nutritionist, athletic director, sports supervisor, um, psychologist, performance coach. Um, we've got all the things that, that you can imagine, and, and thankfully at Notre Dame we're uh, – you know, we, we have a lot of resources. Um, they take care of us very well and they want to have, you know, elite programs in all their sports. Uh, so we're, we're lucky. We get everything that uh, we don't really need. Um, we're not in a need for anything, but we uh, they take care of us and get everything our athletes need to be successful. So fortunately, that's that's helped us a lot. You know, I'd love to take all the credit for the success of, of the program, but there's a lot of people that, that help out, you know, with that great staff and the support system that we have at at Notre Dame. And, and I'm thankful to have Zach on the staff now because he's got a, got a lot of success at the highest level. So he's going to, he's going to help out dramatically for sure. So, so Zach replaced Scott then, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, Scott Gump was our assistant here for, uh, I guess, I think he was here for eight years mm-hmm. um, and four years when I was here, uh, he played on the PJ tour for 20 plus years. Um, so I had a great career, um, but uh, he, uh, yeah, he's moving to Florida and spending some time down there with family. Um, he's had a, a long career in the golf business, so I'm happy for him, but he's, he's done great things at Notre Dame and, and put us in the position to be successful as well. What's that even like for you? Like even take away the players, like to be with a guy like Scott or someone else in that caliber where you're like, oh God, I can learn so much from this person that's played literally at the highest level and for a long time. Like that's something like you say 20 years. I think that's something that, you know, it's kind of overlooked. Like if, if you're on tour for 20 years, like you've really done something. Maybe you haven't done, you haven't won a lot, but like if you maintained a card or at least played there for 20 years, like that's a very impressive achievement. Like that's got to be like a, a really nice mindset for you to have around. Yeah, I echo that. You know, there's not many people that have a 20 year career on the PGA Tour, that's for sure. And especially, you know, a few years ago when the money wasn't as prominent as it is now. Right. So for him to be out there for 20 years and do it successfully, very impressive. Um, And, you know, I I love to learn from everybody I'm around and especially from a guy that's played on tour for 20 years. I learned a great deal. He helped our team learn a great deal. Um, And then, you know, now with Zach, you know, he's been a head coach for a long time. So I'm learning a lot of things from him, just like he's learning from me. And, uh, and that's when you become a successful coach, in my opinion, when you're learning from everybody that you're in, in connection with. Um, and, and I did the same thing with, with Deacon, you know, at Florida. Like, he, he had a lot of things that I didn't have that I learned from him and vice versa, right? I think he, he learned a little bit from me as well to, to be successful coaches. And I think that's what the best, you know, figure out a way to do that. Um, and, and the best players do that too, right? So 
it's uh, it's been a great go, and I'm thankful that I've been at so many different schools and and learned from so many different people across the way. I think if you're just at one program under one roof for a long period of time, you get a little bit stagnant. But I've learned from a, a lot of great coaches along the way that uh, really helped me jumpstart my career for sure. That's very cool. Uh, hearing a lot about learning, and and I'm gonna just do something off the cuff. These boys don't even know it's about to come, Uh-oh. but we've been also in season three trying to start a new segment called Coach's Corner. We're supposed to have the Don Cherry. That's very good, actually. I wanna, I wanna <laughs> dive to into that. like the story of like an individual's transformation, maybe that you've seen in your coaching days of where like there was something blocking or or in the way, or they just didn't they didn't catch something. It's kind of like that putting yourself in different situations to learn something new, and like maybe tell us a story about someone that like came into the program or was already in the program, and and you guys worked through something, and like what was achieved in the end. If yeah, you, good question. And to think of it, I guess I could, I can, uh, you know, introduce a story about a good Canadian boy that we had at Florida, uh, Eric Banks, and he's still playing professional golf to this day. But when he got to Florida, we uh, did all the tests, you know, in the physicals and we found that he had some uh, issues um, with his heart. And at that point in time, we we're kind of wondering, you know, what, what could this be? But Obviously, you know, a lot smarter people than I figured this out that uh, he had a you know pretty severe heart issue that he had to have open heart surgery and not to gross anybody out, but it was so severe that I had to kind of break his ribs to get in there and, and have this really, really intense um, surgery. And when this was going on, we're thinking this guy is never going to play golf again, never mind at the highest level. Right. Um, but he, he hung through there with a, a long time of recovery. And he's one of my one of my closest that I've ever coached just because of his adversity and how he handled it. Um, and he finished his career at Florida, had a very successful year and now doing, you know, playing professional golf and, and playing very well on the Canadian tour. Um, so it's, it's just how you handle adversity. And, and he was phenomenal at it. And uh, he's one of my closest that I, I still talk to very regularly, probably, you know, two or three times a week to this day. Uh, but a nice Canadian guy that, that handled adversity, adversity really well. And, and had a lot of success at Florida. So I'm, I'm proud of him and just how he handled things that are difficult in life. I love that. I just want to dive one layer deeper into that because there's obviously you recognize that there's a problem with your heart. You go in, you get open heart surgery, breaking ribs. Like you come out of that. Thank goodness everything worked out well. But like now there's like that aspect of like you are a high performance athlete now you're in this situation how do we manage expectations of like okay like there's a pathway that we're going to be going on here from like the rehab situation of like you got to rest for a bit then like we can go in and start doing a little bit of weight training to like maybe three months out or i don't know what that timeline was like but like how did how do you do that as a coach and like who's involved in that process of like hey this is this is your path to getting back to where you need to be like we'll be with you and you just got to walk the line with us yeah, I think we tried to lower all expectations and just try to kind of take it a day at a time. And uh, like I said, we didn't think he was ever going to play golf again, never mind at the highest level. So every day was kind of a bonus day for him. And he's just a, he's a tough kid, right? He wasn't going to you know not play this game. And no matter what the doctor said or which I, whatever I said to you know, slow things down and, and don't hit too many balls he's, this day, he would just grind it hard and uh, he wasn't going to accept no. 
And there's not too many, you know, all great athletes, I think, have that mental edge, I would say, you, golfers, hockey players, whatever it is, but they don't accept mediocrity. And he, and he didn't. He just kept battling on. And and every day I'd try to almost slow him down just because so, we didn't want to push too hard. But he wouldn't take that. You know, he would just keep pushing. And, uh, and I, you know, I can't take the credit for that. He's just a, a really tough young man that had great parents along the way that, that pushed him really hard. And and uh, I'm proud of him. I hope he uh, makes it out there on, on tour, but he's uh, he's looking pretty good right now. Gritty, maybe. Gritty, yeah, say. that's a good one. What, what's, that's a good segue into, like, what, what's the throughput and what's the follow-up like with a lot of these students? Because, I mean, you're pretty instrumental in four or five years of their life, maybe more than that, previous to, you know, recruiting communications and whatnot. What, is a, what does a nurturing piece look like following their exit from school? Yeah, I think that's the best part is seeing them grow once they leave college, right? And and college is four years, and and yeah, it's a great four years of your life, but there's a lot more after that. And I love staying in touch with uh, most of the guys and seeing what they're doing. Obviously, some are successful on tour, uh, but also there's a lot of guys that are, are successful outside of golf, and uh, and it's fun to be, you know, catch up with guys like that and and hang out with guys like Banks and you know in some of our players' weddings uh, recently and. It's just fun to really be not just a mentor in golf, but a mentor in life to these guys. And and we've had a lot of fun along the way. And, and once they leave college, it's uh, it's even more fun to, to see where they transition to. Well, you're a mentor as well. Like at the end of the day, when you've, like you said, four or five, six, whatever. Yeah, best friend almost. Yeah, like spend a lot of time with you. And like that's got to be super rewarding, like you said. Because like you even said with Eric, like you're speaking to him two, three times a week, like post-college like or university. I mean, that's really cool like you you are ingrained in their life yeah it's i think most successful coaches know that it's just not about the result all the time but there's something else that drives that result and that's having strong relationships with your players at all times no matter what they do if they no matter how many times they screw up in life you're you're there to help them and support them um and if they think if they know it's just all about results and performance and scores they're really not going to compete that hard for you. But if they know they that you love them and that you're there for them no matter what, they're going to do whatever it is, you know, that, that you ask them to do. And uh, that's what I think is is part of the success, you know, with your players is having that that really strong bond. This is why I think we should hold hands when we do the podcast. Yeah. He's going to hold the mics. Oh, yeah, I guess. Okay. I guess. Hang on. Before we sing Kumbaya, okay, hold on. I got I to I ask the hard question. That's a bad look. I got asked the hard questions in the same video. As a as a coach, what are some of the things that you like to focus on with the students as they're fresh into the program? And what do you think sets your sort of curation process apart from the other coaches? Yeah, good question. I think when they first get here, um, we teach them about you know time management, which seems simple, but most guys that come in as a freshman, uh, their parents are probably done you know most of the things for them in life. So we teach them how to manage their day and, and schedule their day with time management. Um, but a lot of it is is course management. You know, when when these guys get to college, they're all pretty good players. Um, they all have swing instru- swing instructors back home. So we teach them, uh, you know, how to practice and how to have course management on the golf course when they compete. Um, and uh, and a lot of it is uh, just prepping for tournament golf and and how and be able to look at stats properly to find out what they need to improve on, why they're not, you know, at that plan at the highest level. Um, so we we dive into pretty much every aspect of their game. Um, but I must say my, myself, I think the biggest thing that we focus on is is mindset, um, how to think, you know, mentally before you play in an event how you handle difficult situations when you're on the golf course, um, facing adversity, 
golf's uh, you know it's a crazy game that you can't you can't be subbed in and out right you're you're stuck out there by yourself you got to figure it out uh, and most young players aren't quite prepared to do that when they enter college and we spend a lot of time talking about mindset and uh, and how to think your way around the golf course maybe drop a couple of nuggets of uh, expert wisdom on us maybe there's a, a book or an author that you like to put in front of these guys or a piece of literature that that could help a, a random HPA uh, trying to qualify for the mid-am, set, set that level up? Anything in particular stand out? Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Brett Ledbetter, <clears throat> excuse me, his books. He's got some uh, great books on uh, character and what drives winning. I think his are pretty damn good. And, and we have a uh, new performance coach, uh, Randall Stutman, um, who just has a new golf book out just recently. And uh, if you guys haven't read that, I, I highly recommend that one too. Not taking it back like to that. Harvey's little red book and just going with that. <laughs> I was. You can't go back to that book all the time. What, what's that book Parksy has on his desk at home? Oh, you don't want to go there. <laughs> I have three copies of that. It's called How to Fix the Yips Forever. But I putt well now. You just like to call me out on that. I just think it's like the funniest bad book ever. That's like, yeah, like you find yourself like I've. That's a coffee table book. Yeah, like I've I've struggled with it, so it's like I get it, right? But like, David. So I want to go back. You mentioned uh, South Muskoka, Bracebridge, Ron Webb. Um, how many Division One coaches came out of there? Is it four or five? What's the actual number? I, I know we mentioned something, but I believe there's four Division One coaches. That there's are four right now Division One coaches, and I would be lying to you if I told you how many Division One players came out of South Muskoka and his junior program. But I think it was around 27 um, while he was there. And the junior wow. program, as you know, it's still strong right now because of what he's done and the foundation that he laid. But it's uh, it's amazing how he attracted people into junior golf. And he brought players like m myself in there. And, and uh, like I said, he was my mentor. I owe a lot to him and, and how he got me into the game. But the junior golf program at South Muskoka, um, I wish there's more places like that in Ontario because we'd have a lot more players and probably more Canadians on tour. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's impressive what he's, uh, what Ronald Webb has done. And, and I thank uh, Seth Muskoka a lot for everything that's uh, I've, I've come from for sure. So to put things in perspective, guys, $125 for juniors to be a member of this golf club. I knew nothing. I didn't know where Seth Muskoka was. Wow. And honestly, like they said, we should just join the junior program. I said, okay. And since so it's $125, I'm like, let's do it. I knew nothing going in. And then obviously you learn, I grew up at Brantford and, you know, like we had Elena Sharp and David Hearn and Hospitar and, you know, Jennifer Kirby, we've had, you know, tons of kids come out of that program too. So just interesting how, you know, a mentor can actually relate back to coaching and, you know, four division one coaches, you know, and a bunch of division one players is pretty interesting. So, um, crazy. Yeah. I think we need to build a little bit of that, take a little of that magic and move it outside of Ontario over <laughs> to the West side, or the West side, West right? coast. You guys can come visit me. We're in Vancouver. So that gives you a little perspective. John, we're Vancouver guys, and obviously he's waving the uh, center of the universe flag consistently in our faces. Here, hey, we so. got a great deal over here. You got four hundred yeah. bucks to play the city, three city courses in Van in Van for juniors. Like, I think that's a tremendous deal. Like, yeah, that's sure that's actually really good for sure. Boys, we're approaching that magic hour, well, that magic minute of the David, hour. what's with the Boston jersey back in the background <laughs> there? What's going on? Well, let's burn it. It's a uh, Patrice Bergeron game worn Winter Classic jersey. Um, from Fenway, but we're also at Notre Dame. My son's a huge Patrice Bergeron fan and uh, a little access. So we got to meet Cam Neely, Patrice, Chara, a bunch of players. Uh, He's not a Leafs fan. Ice Center? Am I getting that right? 
at Notre Dame. Is that right? Yeah, that's awesome, though, man. I'm glad you're here for the Winter Classic. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, so we were there, uh, but my little guy's a huge – well, I'm also a Bruins fan, but, um, you know, he's kind of taken the Bruins thing and ran with it, so it's pretty fun. But, yes, game-worn Patrice Bergeron jerseys, so nice. go <laughs> How's your little guy's game right now? Is he playing pretty good or what? Yeah, he's uh, with Victor Chichesky. I don't know if you know Vic, but he's part of his, like, little junior program, and um, he's wanted to play competitive golf now for two years. He's just nine, and – Listen, he's hitting it like 190, 200. He's determined to get very good. Um, he's playing two, three times a week. So it's definitely interesting. But, you know, as you know, there's a lot of competitive golf out there. I just think it's crazy that these parents are like, you know, putting these kids in 20, 30 tournaments a year and traveling all over the country. I just think it's psycho. Like, I just, I don't get it. He really wants to play tournaments. And I'm like, just go shoot your best score. So uh, he's getting around South Muskoka, like low 90s, you know, so. At nine years old, I think that's decent, but I have zero expectations other than I know the guys are making fun of me, but definitely like, I watch these parents and I just think it's absolutely insane. Like they're talking about college scholarships and, you know, if he's the best nine-year-old on the planet, what this means. And I'm like, it means absolutely nothing. But, let him have fun. Yeah, make yeah, it fun. So. Elementary school scholarships, baby. <laughs> <laughs> these people are so, going to be branded like F1 drivers everywhere. Yeah. But definitely, like, I watch these parents and, you know, like, five, six times a week. You know, I just think it's overkill. I think they'll just burn out. And maybe I'm just wrong completely, but I'm hoping I'm not. But he definitely wants to compete. He went away for a couple of weeks, and that probably will distract him a little bit. But he's pretty eager to get back out there. This he's week, the junior so. HPA in training. Yeah, he's definitely a high-performance athlete. Well, I know I don't have a lot of time left, but I tell you what, the, the parenting is a nice topic, and I recruit the parents as much as I recruit the player. And when I see parents out there that are kind of getting mad when their kids hit a bad shot or, or uh, you know, making them play in all these tournaments, and, you know, the kid doesn't want to play and they want to play other sports, I mean, as soon as we see that, it's a red flag, and I cross them off the list almost instantly because uh, they're usually going to get burnt out, and they just don't love the game because they got pushed so hard into it. Um, and to be successful at anything, you better love what you're doing. And, and if parents push that hard and they don't love it, um, they're not going to be successful. So it, it's funny, but hopefully that's a good message that, that you send to some, to some of these parents that, my goodness, they just got to, you know, relax a little bit, let their kids have some fun out there, hit a few balls in the water and, and laugh a little bit rather than be so worried about what they're playing and what they're doing every day, you know? I like so that. great example. And I know we're joking about high performance athlete, but like, I think it's all about experiences in many ways. And like, I got... Oddly enough, I'm playing in the two PEI McKenzie Tour events next week and the week after, and I'm going to bring him out. He's going to caddy for me. You know, I fully expect to miss the cut, but at the same time, I think that's a cool thing for him to kind of do and experience. And um, he's got a couple kids that are in his you know, network, we'll call it. And I just watch these parents, and it's like he misses a three footer, and like they're like head down into the trees, and I'm like three footer and he's nine years old like leave it alone just, yeah. and it's also like a club championship we're not even talking about anything relevant so again it's interesting to watch but i just sit there and i just he wants to go to the golf course until he tells me he doesn't want to go to the golf course then you know it's like absolutely the wrong message to be sent like you're, you're now like there's already nerves to be attached to like some three foot putts in life but now knowing you have the expectation of like you're looking over and your dad head down and like, you're like, oh damn, like my, is he going to love me if I miss this shit? <laughs> Am I getting like, a ride home? I would be like, <laughs> yeah. John, yeah, we're going to, so, 
You're so right. You love them unconditionally, no matter what they do. But there's so many that are the opposite, right? They only they love them when they play well. And uh, just not a, a great message, and, and unfortunate for the kids. But when you're out there at PI PI next week, say hi to Banksy when you when you get when you get out there. I will. I will for sure. John, we're going to wrap up the show with a little segment we, we like to call the rapid fire, not so rapid fire 10. So we have 10 skill testing questions for you to close out the show. Let me know when you're ready to go. Hit it. All right. Question number one, the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. What did you have for breakfast today? Apple. That's it? That's it. Get to work. Quick wow. apple. HPA. Yeah. What kind of apple? <laughs> <laughs> the red delicious. Ah, okay. Easy. Question number two. What's in the bag right now, John? What are you swinging for wrenches? I'm a big TaylorMade guy. The boys oh, at TaylorMade take yes. care of me. And uh, I'm all through the bag, the, t- the TaylorMade clubs, and the ball, glove, the whole deal. I, I love the boys at TaylorMade. Can, we get, irons, in, can yeah. we get into some details? Yeah, driver, th- hybrid, three-wood. What do we got? Uh, yeah, I got, uh, I guess, what's the newest one out? I can't even remember Sim the name. Sim or it. Sim it's 2 the, Max? Sim 2, Sim sorry. Sim 2 Max, yeah. And I uh, got same thing, actually just a sim to uh, three wood um, and then uh, four iron through wedge and all the wedges as well. Um, I must say I got uh, I got I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, a Betonardi. So I got a nice Betonardi in the bag uh, right now with our boys in Chicago. So they they take care of us and uh, and pretty nice to have their equipment. Helping us pay some bills. Absolutely. You have a Notre Dame custom head cover for Baton Arnie because allegedly a, a Florida Gator one's being sent to me next week. Ooh. Just saying. And then, From Craig, and I am Deeks. So he said that they did some crazy custom stuff. But They so. do, yeah. They, they take care of us uh, so that, the, yeah, the Baton Arnie and, and the Gators and uh, our native Notre Dame covers are pretty sweet. Nice. Question number three, the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. Are you an outfit guy, John? Do you have to match it up? Is there something special you like to put on? White belt, white visor, white shoes. What's the look? Special pair of uh, underwear. I'm nothing too crazy, to be honest with you. We're Under Armour here, and they uh, they treat us well with a lot of gear. So, um, yeah, whatever uh, whatever they send me, I, I throw it on. That's for sure. But nothing too crazy. No complaints. Like that. Under Armour gear is great. Question number four. What's the warm up routine look like for the golf coach? These days, now that you're not playing competitive, but you still want to play with the guys and, and rib them a little bit. I would almost be like to take that one layer further is like as the coach, like how do you prepare to go to a tournament and be with these guys? Like you're obviously not hitting balls, but like, no, I want to know how he warms up for golf. We should two part, two the, part. That's why it's the not so rapid fire. Yeah. Well, the players are a little bit different instead of my, uh, my weekend golf that I play with my buddies back in Muskoka, like this past week. So that was a little bit different kind of a warm up, as you can imagine. But, uh, the guys in the team, we, uh, we get up two hours before a tea time. So we make sure we get some stretching in, in the morning, get a good breakfast in and, and get to the range an hour before their tea time. And, and, uh, you know, every guy is a little bit different about what they like to do. Um, but we spend enough time to make sure they're, they're ready to go and, and it's uh, not your your typical warm up that you guys would be thinking of. That's not a Muskoka golf warm up. Yeah, Stretching, like- two hours, nutrition, hydration, maybe a different kind of hydration. Yeah, I'd I think to- uh, maybe a Caesar or two before you get to the tea in Muskoka. So <laughs> bang- yeah, it's a like banquet or two. Give me some more deets on uh, this past weekend's warm up for you. Was it a Caesar? before the first tee was it uh tim hortons maybe i don't know it's been a minute since you've been back in the old blessed lands of canada 
Yeah, always Tim Hortons when you get up. That's for sure. When you're when you're back home, um, I even hit Swiss Chalet a little bit at night. But uh, yeah, <laughs> wow. before golf, I'm I'm having a uh, a Caesar or two with the boys uh, when I'm on vacation. So we uh, we uh, we had a few of those and, and a lot of fun. They don't they don't make Caesars like they do uh, here in the U.S. and Canada. So. Yeah, of course. Do you hit balls on the range before? Do you roll a couple putts or just kind of you know what? Let's see what the game has on the first tee. Just go right to the first tee, start getting the bets all situated, and, and play some golf. Love it. Like that. All right, question number six. Have we had a hole-in-one? How many and where? I've had six hole-in-ones. Only six. Uh, none recently, unfortunately, but I had three in competition, so those are my most Ooh, memorable. Um, and uh, I think my most memorable was a, a tournament. In, I think it was in Pennsylvania, but I, won, I got a nice check for a hole-in-one, so that was the, the best one. Oh, one of those ones. Like a turn you pro check or were yeah. you already pro? No, I was already pro at that time and I got a nice hole in one at an event and there was uh, cash on the line. So I got a nice little check. Amazing. Like that one. Question number seven, favorite golf course. Maybe give us one in Canada outside of Ontario and one in the U.S. Uh, U.S. <laughs> has to be Augusta. There's nothing like Augusta, just the history and the golf course and the condition of it. Um, so the atmosphere at Augusta was nothing like I've ever seen. So that was, that's definitely my one in the U S and, uh, Canada. Um, I love big one. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever played big one, um, just North of Muskoka. Uh, but it's, it's on, on big one Island. It's one of the best golf courses in Canada. Uh, not many people have played it or heard of it. Um, so that, that would be probably my one in Canada and Port Carling is, is pretty good as well. Uh, in Port in Muskoka. I uh, played it this past week. It's uh, it's a cream of the, t- of the crop as well. Coach wasn't listening when I said anything outside of Ontario. Give us you one outside of Ontario. Outside of Ontario. <laughs> can't say outside no, of Ontario. No, I didn't even listen to that. Exactly. <laughs> just his brain is conditioned to be like, yeah, screw Ontario that. golf, come on. There you go. Give us, something out, give, give us something out west that we can relate to. Have you played much golf out here? I've played very little golf in western Canada. What I must the admit. Maritimes? So. Maritimes, maybe. Let's go that way. What's the best course out there? Where should I play when I'm out there? <sighs> Gosh. When are you coming? Yeah, Sagebrush. We'll take you. Toby? We'll take you wherever you want to go. Go to Tobiano. Tobiano, Sagebrush is a new one. Obviously, Capilano, Shaughnessy. Those are the, the heavy hitters. But All of which don't equate to Ontario golf courses. Because <laughs> like you haven't played them. I'd like to get out of Victoria Golf Club, so maybe we put that on the list. In the there you game. go. That's Pebble Beach of Canada right there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to look you guys up when I get out there, and we'll play next summer. Definitely. Might need you to make the call, but that's okay. We'll get out there. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> question number eight of the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. Give us your dream. Uh, we got to ask the cliche question. Give us your dream fivesome. You're the fifth. Give us four players, dead or alive, actors, comedians, exes, friends, foes, anybody. Dream fivesome. Um my brother is in there for sure. Love playing golf with him and taking his money. Um, Ooh, okay. But I would have to say Michael Jordan, who I've played his golf course in South Florida quite a bit and uh, would like to play with him. Uh, I would say Gretzky uh, would be in there. I would always love to play with Gretzky. Really? He's always been my idol. It's going to be a money um, game. And, and, Tom, and Tom Brady uh, would oh, be in there. this is a money game. Yeah. There's going to be some serious oh, trash talk going on. Goats out there. Love this list, wow. to be honest. Sounds like the making of a match. Sounds like an empty yeah, wall. I'd love to do that. If I had a golfer in there, it'd be Freddie Couples, that's for sure. Oh, Freddie. Can't go wrong with the best swing in golf. Love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. All right, moving along. Nine. Worst incident you've ever experienced while traveling with the team. Give us something horrific. 
Don't have to Where's name names. Incident. Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. Have we had any accidents on the first tee? Quick change of pants, anything like that? There's got to be something juicy you want to divulge. Some bad. I had fish. A, I had a player break a rib actually during a competitive round, and he finished the round. So that's probably the one that I can remember the most because it was uh, his swings. I still have them on video. Were quite entertaining. Uh, we laugh at them now, but that's that's probably the best thing I can think of. Did How he, did he break? A did rib? he get jerseyed on one and get Tilly before <laughs> the second tee box or what happened? Maybe it wasn't a broken rib, but a misplaced rib or something came out of position there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he was swinging kind of half. Half, you know, kind of just sideways, almost like a oh, baseball shit. player swing, and uh, but he made it through. He battled. I love it. Yeah. What he finished? Do you remember? <laughs> I don't know, but we bar. almost won the tournament actually with his. Uh, I think he said it earlier, grit. So it was it was pretty cool to watch. That's a good word. Wow, Mr. Pace. Question number ten. Let's close this thing out and get this guy out of here. Uh, I'm going away from golf. You uh, you mentioned you are a big hockey guy. I want your honest opinion. Take away your allegiances to whatever team you are. Tied to <laughs> who do you think is actually going to win the cup this year? <laughs> wow. Put your bet down if you're to make it right now. It, the Leafs are going to win the cup this year. Oh, no, they're, they're not. Oh, the Oilers have a better chance. We're going to have to re record that question. So, in all seriousness, who do you think is going to win the cup this year? <laughs> I'm telling you, every year I'm saying the Leafs because they have to win a cup before I pass. And I was born in 77, so I've never seen them win a cup. And they better win a cup. And I'm picking them this year like I pick them every year. To all end right. this, to end that, that question, I work with a guy that was in Toronto for the last cup win. 67. Yeah. And he talks about it all the time. He's like, I remember celebrating. He's like, I was a kid, but I was there. And he's like, I'm like, you might be the last one to see (laughs) (laughs) of this generation. You might be. Oh, man. Everybody bleeds blue in Canada. It's just unfortunate. But hey. What do you mean? We're Oilers fans here. Yeah. Bleed blue, bro. Bleed blue. I have to respect his answer, even though he said, don't put your allegiances. But you lost Joe. But I would say the Oilers every time. (laughs) For sure. Well, we do the same thing out here in the West, so yeah, we feel your pain. Are you picking the Oilers parks? Absolutely, man. Okay, just checking. You haven't Absolutely. switched to the Knucks. Boys are rolling. Yeah, stick with your team. No. Gotta be faithful. Dude, we went through the decade of darkness. We can make it out of this. We're still in the decade, the no. whatever. Millennium Millennium of seven, Darkness. Seven, right? Stinking <laughs> Rollison just got injured in like the first game and we still yet yeah, heartbreaking. Rolly the goalie. Boys. John, thank you. That was an absolute pleasure, man. Um we wish you all the best for this season coming up with the team. Uh, I know you have a hell of a squad coming up this year, and we can't wait to follow along with you and the boys. All the successes, man. Thanks for sharing some stories and some laughs and, and some time. We know you're a busy guy, but can't thank you enough for jumping on with us. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. It was a great time. I really enjoyed it. You guys are a lot of fun, and I look forward to teeing it up with you guys soon. 100%. We're here when you're ready. Let's do it.